following presentation is brought to you by the PTB Soccer Network. PTB, Park in the Bus Soccer Network. Coast to Coast Instrumentals. What's up PTB Nation? Welcome. It is another PTB Soccer Network presentation of Mr. Portugal. Tonight it is episode 2, a little later than expected but still in time for the UEFA Nations League Finals. That's right, it's episode 2. Tonight we're going to get ready for Wednesday's UEFA Nations League semi-final match against Switzerland and then we're going to go back to the this past weekend go back to what was um, very very disappointing a very disappointing performance and a very disappointing uh, campaign in the U20 World Cup for Portugal one of the more disappointing in recent memory um, it was quite a failure for a very very talented team to, to come up short in a group that they really should have dominated and should have walked away with a minimum of seven points from these three matches. Uh, that did not happen. The team did not execute, did not finish well. And Portugal knocked out of the U-20 World Cup at the group stage. Um, who's to blame for this, this uh, failure? And how much should we even really make of it? All right, I'll get to that later on today. But we're going to start off with the UEFA Nations League. That's right, it is the Final Four this coming week uh, being played in northern Portugal. Okay, so we got two matches. We got Wednesday, Portugal versus Switzerland in semifinal number one in 
Porto. And then Thursday in Guimarães, we have England versus the Netherlands in semifinal number two. We'll touch on semifinal number two a little bit today, but we're really going to focus on semifinal number one for Portugal against uh, the Swiss side. That is an always underrated and underestimated uh European side that is very, very capable, very, very consistent. Um, they've only failed one final tournament uh, appearance in this century, in the 21st century. So along with Portugal, one of the more consistent European sides. Uh, Portugal, obviously, the only nation to have qualified for every single finals tournament of this century including this UEFA Nations League Final Four which is being considered a final stage of a major tournament and I talked a little bit last week about what I think about this tournament and I think this may very well be the start of a very big big tournament you know when we look back years from now maybe 10 15 years from now we will um, look much differently at this UEFA Nations League I think this has the potential to be a very very important tournament um, the criticism is that we didn't need another international tournament in an off year and that it's adding to the, the wear and tear on international players. But the truth is that's not the case because this tournament was placed completely within international dates that already existed. Okay, It took got rid of the quite useless international friendlies um, that really nobody cared for. Uh, unless you're the head coach or the manager of a national team and you wanted to use those friendlies to, to try new players. I, I kind of get that, but from a, a fan standpoint, from a media standpoint, from a from a commercial standpoint, this is a much better model. Um, we have the top teams playing against the top teams, which will, in fact, make the rankings truer rankings, and this way, teams that necessarily don't belong in you know the top five six seven eight places of the FIFA rankings um, who got there only by playing you know softer schedules and playing friendlies against weaker opposition getting a lot of easy wins that's not going to be the case anymore as um, this competition pits teams against the teams in their own level so this final four stage is for league a as they called it the top division of the UEFA Nations League okay there were four groups of three and it left us with these four group winners Portugal Switzerland England and the Netherlands um all these groups uh, with the exception of Portugal's were decided on the final day Portugal qualified um just before that they they had a less stressful qualification as they went into the last match knowing that they were already qualified for the final four and as was the case as the bids to host the tournament were the three teams in Portugal's group it was already all but formally announced that Portugal would be hosting this final stage uh, last week we went over Portugal's roster okay um, I told you what I thought about it and that doesn't change um, unfortunately this week uh, as Portugal arrived to camp in Ispinho, one of the suburbs of Porto, or one of the nearby municipalities. Um, while most fans most fans welcomed the team and, and applauded and got autographs from their stars, Portugal's young 19-year-old forward making his, hopefully his debut in this competition, João Félix was, was insulted by fans. Um, 
given that this is unfortunately the ugly side of the passion of Portuguese football and the the clubism as it translates to uh, you know we see clubismo in Portuguese um, and just how strong the club allegiances are to the point where Portugal fans are insulting a rival player from Benfica. He was called Lumpião, which is a derogatory term that rivals use for Benfica players and Benfica fans calling them Lumpiões. Um, he was, you know, shouted at by fans and uh, insulted and being told to go back to Lisbon where his club is and all this and that. And it, it's really a despicable display from, you know, people that claim to be football fans you know, and they're not football fans. If you're doing that to your national team, you're not a football fan. Pep does not get this kind of treatment when he goes into Lisbon, okay? Bruno Fernandes does not get this kind of treatment when he goes into Porto. This is literally, this is an anti-Benfica sentiment that 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 is deeply ingrained in some fans. And unfortunately, too many fans. It probably is a minority, but, you know... The Federation putting this competition in, you know, choosing Porto as the location for their bid to host this competition, you're going right into the territory of of um, of Macaco Madureira, the the leader of the clock, uh, the Super Dragões, the the supporters group for Football Club Porto, um, uh, a vehement anti-Benfiquista, even more so than a Portisha, in my opinion. Um, his actions and his words have shown that he's more of an anti-Benfica fan than he is a pro-Porto fan. And unfortunately, that is the sentiment of, of that of the hardcore fan base for that club. Too many in that hardcore fan base, at least. are uh, Their sentiment is not one of support for their own team, but it is hate for another team. And here we have, what, what are they going to do? If João Felix comes onto the field and scores a goal. Are they going to whistle him? Are they going to, you know, shout and call him Lumpion when he's on the ball wearing their national team jersey? There's no excuse for this behavior. There's absolutely no place for it. And um, it does not give a good account of that region as far as for hosting these these matches. And uh, it's it's really sad and it's, it's disappointing from... You know, fans of such a passionate soccer nation, but that really right now there's so much division, and that it is very hard whether no matter what team you support of the big three, Benfica, Sporting, Porto, all say the same thing. Everyone seems to not be that interested in the national team. They seem to accuse everyone accuses the national team and the federation of favoring the other teams, favoring their rivals. Everyone seems to think that someone else's team is getting uh, you know preferential treatment. You've heard commentators from, you know, fans of Porto say things like they're glad that youth national teams have lost because they didn't pick Porto players or they're not rooting for that Brazil is now their national team and they show a picture of, you know, Militão and uh, and Octavio and, you know, all the Porto-based uh, Portuguese, uh, Brazilian, excuse me, national team players, uh, Casimiro, um, um, Danilo, you know, the, the guys in the Brazilian national team that have come through uh, Football Club de Porto's ranks um, to rise to that level. And uh, that's also despicable. There, there's no place for that. And I'm not telling anyone who to root for. And Benfica fans are just as guilty of this. Don't, don't 
get the impression that I'm saying that they're not. They're just as guilty as, as of this. And uh, I've read, you know, some really upsetting comments on Avala this week from both sides, from Porto fans and Benfica fans alike. You know, Porto fans saying that, uh, you know, the Federation never gives the North a a game, you know, an important match, and this is what happens when you when you exclude the North from these matches, and blah blah blah. And Benfica fans, same thing, saying things like, "This is why Benfica they wish Benfica players would just turn down national team call ups." This is not what this game is about. This is not what it's about to represent the Slesson de Schkinas. Okay, we are the European champions right now, lest we forget. Okay. And people like to forget. We're a very pessimistic, uh, very pessimistic culture. A lot of times, Portuguese. There, there's no denying. There's no two ways around it. We are sometimes so pessimistic that it's, it's disgusting. And this is another example. And um, you know, we even when we're champions of Europe, some of us just just. Uh, can't be happy. We have to find fault with it, and we got to say that it was unearned, and that the manager is a moron, and that he didn't he didn't earn this. It fell into his lap. Uh, you have the anti Ronaldo Portuguese that that fill up these these message boards, talking about how much he sucks and calling him Penaldo and how Messi's the real deal. I mean, you know how many countries in the world would kill to have a player the level of Cristiano Ronaldo on their national team, and we have people within our culture. That are just taking a piss on them and just disrespecting what is one of the two best players of this era at the very least, okay? If not one of the best three, four, five players of all time. Um, nobody has ever been better in the air, in the box, at finishing than Cristiano Ronaldo. No player has ever uh, sustained, you know, a level that he's sustaining physically at this age, okay? He's carrying on well past his years. His game is still very much a a physical a physically based game and he he still uses his physical attributes his his leap ability his speed is still there when uh you know maybe not for 90 minutes but when at key moments he still is able to tap into that that world class speed that he has that world class vertical that finishing ability okay he may not be the player he was 3 4 years ago but he is still one of the undisputably one of the top 2 players in the world okay um, anyone who refutes that statement is just ignorant um, because him and messi are still far and away uh, far and away the best two players in the world and we have another player in our team that is get, is creeping up the ladder and getting in that top 10 I think in the world and um, and really he was one of the best three or four players in Europe all this season that is Manchester City's Bernardo Silva okay he, he was voted by Pep by Pep Guardiola who, who knows a thing or two about this game um, and by Manchester City players as the team's player of the year and they were the champions of the Premier League okay um the Premier League selected Virgil van Dijk, who's also going to be on display in this tournament as the player of the year, uh, the Liverpool centre-back, who will be representing the Netherlands in this tournament. And um, and that's all right also. Um, but really, Portuguese fans need to realize that we are spoiled right now with the amount of talent we have within our ranks. Okay, Bernardo Silva, like I said, is, is, is approaching that level. But we got some more great players. I mean, João Félix has un, unlimited potential. It's too early to put him on a level with those guys, obviously. It's just his first year as a senior player. But 20 goals. 
I don't care if it's in the Portuguese league. I don't care if it's in the in the Vietnamese league. 20 goals for a 19-year-old is an achievement. Okay? There's no question about it. It is an achievement. Um, Bruno Fernandes just had a fantastic season with Sporting. Okay? This guy is on the, the short list for most of the large clubs in Europe this summer. This transfer window. He is one of the prized possessions of this upcoming transfer window. And uh, here we are complaining that we got nothing and that we have bad players and that we don't play anything and that our manager doesn't know what he's doing and this and that, okay? And while we're all free to disagree with the manager's selections, we're all free to like or dislike certain players. There, there's no denying that there is a lot of talent in this, club, in this national team. Um, in addition to Bruno Fernandes, we still have also... Uh, João Cancelo, Rafael Guerreiro. Okay, these are two premier outside players. Um, we have Rui Patricio, who is one of the top goalkeepers in the Premier League this year. Um, we've got Ruben Neves, one of the great young players in the in the Premier League. Um, Rafa and Pizzi were two of the best, you know, from for a title-winning Benfica side. There, there's so much talent in this group. I mean, I can sit here and go through all 23 players, but the point is there's so much talent in this group, and this this group should be supported in this tournament and not insulted. Okay, you insult one player in the national team, you're insulting them all. That's the way I look at it, and that's the way it needs to be to be looked at by fans. Okay, once they put that badge across their, on their chest, that badge of the Keenish the the Portuguese national team badge and the federation badge. Um, at that point, they that is your team. There's no more club at that moment, okay? The players will go back to their clubs after. Um, but when they come in and they play for this national team, this this country, this, this culture needs to be 100% behind this team. Um, so what I'll do now, I'll go into what I think the starting lineup should be against... Against Switzerland, and well, and actually, before that, let me give you Switzerland's roster. I'll read it down, starting with the keepers: Jan Sommer, Jon Muvongo, Jonas Omlin are the three goalkeepers. The defenders are Ricardo Rodriguez, Fabian Schar, Michael Lang, Francois Mubonjai, Manuel Akanji, Nico Elvaldi, Kevin Mabu, and Loris Benito. The midfielders: Shakiri, Shaka, Zuber. Zakaria, Froiler, Edmilson Fernandez, Renato Stefan, Jibril So, and the forwards are Harris Seferovic, a player I know pretty well, uh, Josip Drimic, Albion Ajeti, and Noah Okafor. Uh, the manager is Vladimir Petkovic. Okay, um, the way they lined up in their last match, which was a qualifier for Euro 2020 against Denmark in a 3-3 draw. Playing a 3-5-2 was with Summer in goal, a three-band backline of Elvedi, Akanji, and Rodriguez. Mababu, Zakaria, Shaka, Froiler, and Zuber were the five-man midfield with Mbolo, who's not in this squad, and Ajeti up front. Um, that was because there were some injuries in the side at that time, so that's not what I'm expecting to see in uh, in Wednesday's match against Portugal. Um, what I am expecting to see is more of what we saw in their final UEFA Nations League group game against, uh, against Belgium. A game in which Switzerland were required to win 
by two goals in order to qualify for this final stage. Uh, they started out down 2-0, if you remember, and managed to turn around and score five unanswered goals to qualify. They played a 4-4-1-1 that day with Summer in goal. Uh, Mababu was the right back. The center backs were Elvedi and Closa. Closa's not in the in the squad for this go-around. Um, and Rodriguez was the left back. The four-man midfield was Fernandez, Shaka, Freuer, and Zuber. And then you had Shakiri playing in the number 10 position behind Harris Seferovic, the striker from Befica, um, who's going to be very familiar with, with Portugal's uh, Ruben Ruben Dias, so that's really a matchup I am looking forward to seeing in this match um, as those two Benfica teammates go head-to-head -head here. Um, and Seferovic in that game against Belgium did have a hat-trick. So that's I'm expecting a more of that lineup on on Wednesday, more of a 4-4-1-1. I don't expect them to play with three at the back facing Portugal's, you know, uh, three-man forward line, whatever combination Fernando Santos selects. Um it would not be a good matchup for a three-man back line, in my opinion. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I certainly don't expect it. How I think Portugal should line up and how I think Fernando Santos will put Portugal on the field are two different things. Um, I'll stick with what I think the manager is going to do. I expect to see Rui Patricio in goal. Uh, the back line will be on the right. It will be Cancelo. The two center backs will be Pep and Ruben Diaz, and Rafael Guerreiro will be the left back. Um, the three-man midfield, I'm expecting William Carvalho, uh, Bruno Fernandes, and João Moutinho. If not João Moutinho, then possibly Ruben Neves. Maybe on maybe PZ sneaks in there, I don't know. Um, but any one of those combinations. And up front, this is where there's some intrigue. You know you're going to see Cristiano Ronaldo. He's uh, making his debut in the competition. But uh, who will partner with him is the question. Um, I expect to see Bernardo Silva. And I hope to see João Felix, but I'm not convinced. It may very well be Rafa. It may be Rafa uh, along with, with Ronaldo and, and, and Bernardo Silva. Or it may be Diogo Jota. I'm not sure. It could be any one of those combinations also. Um, those players are all available. I'm hoping, I, I really hope Fernando Santos can find a way to, to put Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva, and and uh, João Felix all on the field at the same time. I think that would be uh, the best offensive possibilities this team has had. And we have had a hard time scoring goals. There is no question about it. Even in the in the group phase, okay, we had a hard time putting the ball in the goal. We got through, but we had a hard time scoring goals. And then in the two qualifiers that we drew, again, very hard time scoring goals. This is a constant in Portuguese national team football, as you saw. It was also a problem with the under-20s. Um, the inability to score goals, the inability to uh, develop true strikers, I suppose, to uh, offer more options in the box. Um, we play some nice football right up until the final third and the final pass, and then we have a lot of difficulty. So uh, Diego Souza is also an option for Portugal. He is in the team, um, but he is coming off an injury. He missed some time with Sporting Braga this season, so um, eh, who knows. With Knowing Fernando Santos, maybe he's the third forward. 
Um, I, I hope not, but um, if it were up to me, the Portugal would play in a 4-4-2 because this team is, is made for a 4-4-2. It would be the f- same four that I that I said Fernando Santos was starting with in the back. And then my midfield, you, you can still have uh, William Carvalho in there um, as the holding mid. Pair him with Bruno Fernandes. You play, you play with... This is going to sound like a club loyalty here, but really I would play with with PZ, on the, PZ and Rafa as the outside mids, just like Benfica did. Um, still leaving you good options on the bench with João Moutinho and Ruben Neves. Um, that's how I would start. And then you would see Bernardo Silva playing behind, slightly behind uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, playing uh, as a truer 10 pretty much the way that Switzerland lined up in, against against Belgium. That's how I would put this Portuguese team uh, on the field. I think everyone can see that that uh, Bernardo playing next to Ronaldo has not really produced much. And Bernardo is really a player that, that is best in between the lines, not, not pushing on the defensive line, but playing in between the, the other team's midfield and defensive lines and finding space and setting up Ronaldo and setting up, you know, the, the wide players like PZ uh, and Rafa. Fine, you don't want PZ and Rafa. Bernardo can play wide as well, and you play João Felix in the hole behind Cristiano Ronaldo. You can do that also, but I think Felix wide... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I think Bernardo Silva playing wide on this team ends up becoming a spectator too many times. We don't get the ball to him. If he's going to be lining up wide, then there needs to be a focus in getting the ball to Bernardo Silva. He needs to come inside also. He can't just stay out wide um, in that old-fashioned style of a, of a wide player. He can't just stay touchline wide and, and be whipping in crosses all day. That's not his game. He needs to be coming inside, getting into the gaps, getting into the spaces, playing while he's facing goal, seeing his his offensive uh, his offensive teammates seeing the targets seeing Cristiano Ronaldo seeing whoever that neck that other forward is playing them in getting them good goal scoring opportunities um, Portugal really needs to start fighting the back of the goal in this tournament this is a great opportunity to get some momentum um, of course after this tournament there's no games again for for two months until we get to September but in September we have massive qualifiers okay we're starting off at Serbia going to be a very difficult away match so Portugal really needs to figure out where they're going to be at that point this tournament really can provide an opportunity to put a a team in motion to get them ready to play in September of course a lot can happen in two months if players transfer and they're not you know starters in their new clubs they can find their way out of this team and other players find their way in only time will tell, but that's where I think Portugal needs to be in this game. Um, Portugal needs to be confident. They need to create chances. They did create a lot of chances. Just There was no finishing in those last two uh, Euro 2020 qualifiers. Um, the goal's got to come in. We need a big tournament from Cristiano Ronaldo. The haters are out there again. They're, they're hating on the season he had. All right, The man's 35 years old, and they're, they're judging him like a 21-year-old still. Um, Remember, he went to a new club with new teammates, something that his rival has never had to do, okay? This certain number 10 at Barcelona has never had to change clubs, has never had to go to a country and learn a new language, had to play for a manager who didn't speak his language, okay? Um, He's never had to, to adjust like that. 
the season Ronaldo had was still a very good season for any other player in the world that would have been considered a good season. Um, because it's Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, it's considered a down year. And, uh, you know, you've heard even Jose Mourinho saying that he's not even in his top 10 for players in Europe this season. And that may be so, but he doesn't need to be in the top 10 anymore. He needs to show up at the big moments and to shine on the big stages. And it's something he did in, in his final years at Real Madrid. Okay, he really learned how to save himself, if you will, or how to shine in those key Champions League matches. Um, I'd love to see him really shine in this uh, UEFA Nations League, put his name on the tournament, on the on the trophy, be the first captain to lift this trophy, and to give this competition a really sound base and sound foundation for which it can build going forward with one of the greatest players of all time lifting it in the inaugural edition. All right. So that's where we stand with the full national team, the senior national team, all right? Uh, I'm not going to get into any more um, prediction or any more, any more criticism of, 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 you know, lineups or selections. Wait, we'll wait and see what happens on Wednesday night in, in the Stadio Dragão in Porto, all right? So we're going to take a quick break right now. On the other side, uh, I will talk about the debacle that was the U20 World Cup this uh, this past week, really. It was one week. That's all that Portugal was around for in this edition of the U20 World Cup uh, in Poland. Stay right there. I am the Mr. Mike Agustino. You can find us on Facebook at PTB Soccer. So go to, I'm sorry, go to Instagram, not Facebook, Instagram at PTB Soccer. Okay, we're also on Facebook if you want to put in Parking the Bus Soccer Network. On Facebook, you'll also find the attached uh, Facebook page. But for now, we will use the Instagram page as the main um, communication portal for the PTB Soccer Network. So it's at PTB Soccer on Instagram. I am the Mr. Mike Agostino. I'll be right back with uh, my thoughts on the U-20s. Stay right there. And welcome back to episode 2 of Mr. Portugal here on the PTB Soccer Network. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agostino. Uh, remember to follow us on Instagram at PTB Soccer. Alright, we're going to change gears just a little bit now. And we are going to go to the FIFA Under-20 World Cup. The under 20 men's world cup that is being played right now in poland as we speak um as you know by now unfortunately portugal has been eliminated they were eliminated from the group stages which is a very very disappointing outcome for a team that we all had such high hopes for and a team that's accomplished so much a generation that has accomplished so much through their youth national team run since they were, you know, under 16s and 17s all the way through to these U20s, and they're not done yet. I mean, there's still U21s before the, the national, the full national team to go, but as frustrating as it is, and it is frustrating, and I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for this, this poor performance and this really failed, um, this, this failed trip to the World Cup, this failed campaign, if you will, um, it's important to put into perspective the value of 
the Under-20 World Cup. And don't get me wrong, it is a fantastic experience for any player that is selected to play at the Under-20 World Cup. It is a very big tournament. It is the biggest tournament FIFA runs outside of the actual full World Cup, okay? It's bigger than the Olympics. We need to understand that right away. I know in Latin America, here in North America... People talk about the Olympics in Olympic soccer, but really Olympic soccer is small time. European teams don't even send their best possible team. Clubs don't have to release their players for the Olympics. A lot of clubs no longer release their best players for the Olympics. You don't see Olympic teams typically sending the best possible under-23 team. They send the team that clubs allow to go. So with that being said, the under-20 really is the second biggest uh, international tournament you can play in, you know, representing your country in, in one's career. And it's a 2014 tournament. It is, you know, the exposure's enormous. Even here in North America where the, these things used to not be able to see these tournaments anywhere. I mean, it was, it used they used to be, you know, so obscure and so out there. Um, you'd have to have satellite television back in those days, or later on you'd have to stream it illegally. Not anymore. This this is this tournament's readily available. It's on Fox Sports in English. It's on Univision in Spanish. So it's covered in two languages here in the United States. Just about every language has you know television rights, or I should say, every country has television rights to televise this tournament. It is a big tournament. But how important is it? Is the question okay? That's the question I'm going to raise tonight. As In case you don't know, Portugal lost 2-0 um, earlier this week to Argentina in a game where they were the better team. But again, like we talked about the senior team, failure to, to, to make the most of scoring opportunities did them in. Okay, failure to convert chances. Um, had put it this had Portugal scored just one more goal against South Korea, they would have advanced. Okay, they did not do that. Um, they only scored two goals in three games, and that's just not acceptable for a team that wants to be world champion and a team that's coming in as reigning European champion. That's just not acceptable. Okay, and then it also begs the question of why Portugal, whether it's at the youth level or at the senior level, play better and fare better against European competition than they do against non-European competition. It happens at the World Cup at the senior level. It happens at the youth level, at least within the last decade. For some reason, playing non-European teams is always what does in the Portuguese team. I've got a couple theories to that, and part of it is... Um, you know, in European competition, sometimes the game is a little bit... It flows differently, okay? Teams are trying to play a more similar style. There's, when you play, especially at under 20, but even in the full national team, there's a lot more variables playing teams from Latin America or teams from from Asia, okay? Teams from Africa. They, they have different qualities. They bring different things to the table, things that we're not used to. And European teams, I think, are very easily the, easier to scout, uh, information is more readily available. Video is is more readily available. Um, when you play a team like Korea, for example, where they were a huge unknown, there isn't a. I don't think there was a single player based in Europe on that under twenty team. You play a team like South Africa, they're going to be very talented athletically. 
Okay, they may not be as as tactically sound, but uh, they're going to be good technical players. They're going to be very creative, very outside the box players. South American teams are like this, and they give Portugal a lot of trouble as well. Whereas I think European teams are more predictable, and uh, Portuguese tactical mind is able to better adapt to European teams, and I think that's why. You know, we always fare better in European championships than we do in any any World Cups or World Championships um, or Olympic tournaments, for that matter. Um, but this team, this team has so much talent. This under twenty, and they really did underperform, and uh, they really did not live up to their potential at this under twenty level. But again, let's put into perspective. Okay, we need to be careful. Just as a team going on a good run to win a World Cup it does not necessarily mean that there's going to be success for those players in the future. And I'm going to bring an example, and that is the 2011 Under-20 World Cup in Colombia. Portugal were in the final at that one, okay? Portugal were beaten in the final by Brazil, okay? Now, I went over the rosters today of those two teams. And Portugal, I'll get to it in a minute, just how many of those players, you know, went on to to play at the full national team level, okay? But the real lasting impression I got from the 2011 World Cup, okay, under-20 World Cup, won by Brazil, okay? Brazil had players in their team you would recognize, a few. You'll recognize Danilo. You'll recognize Oscar, okay? You'll recognize Juan. Outside of that, you're not going to be able to remember anyone on that Brazil team that won that World Cup. Okay, so in 2011, under-20 World Cup in Colombia, the player of the tournament, the MVP, was a player from Brazil who was also the leading scorer. He was the Golden Boot winner. His name was Enrique. Okay, Enrique. Um, at that time, he was a promising you know, uh, prospect for Sao Paulo. Okay. So I look up this Enrique guy. He doesn't sound, you know, too well known. Well, t- here we are, eight years later, when this player, you know, you would have assumed from his performance at age 19 in an under 20 World Cup would go on to be a global superstar. He's currently playing at Bolognese Sad in Portugal on loan from Goiás of Brazil. Okay. So let that sink in for a minute because at 19, you know, he was going to be a huge, a huge deal, okay? Oscar was a big deal at 19. He plays in the Chinese Premier League. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of money in that league. There's tons of good players. But Oscar never panned out to be caca like people had projected, okay? Brazil won that World Cup. And it's easy to tell now because their back line was solid. Their defenders were the ones that went on to be world-class players. Danilo, Juan, uh, I believe um, also including uh, Casemiro, who's now at Real Madrid. I think those three were the the big names in that tournament. Um, At least the ones that went on to become, you know, the highest level players at the senior level. Oscar had his, his time a little bit, but he really... He never panned out to be the... He never turned into Kaká, for example. He never turned into a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo, okay? Cristiano Ronaldo never played at an under-20 World Cup, okay? Um, that, I, that I'm aware of. Also, 
Lionel Messi was an MVP at the at the Under-20 World Cup. Javier Saviolo was an MVP at, at an Under-20 World Cup. So those guys panned out. But you just never know. So let's remember that winning the Under-20 World Cup is not necessarily an indication that your team is going to go on to success at the senior level. No better example than Portugal's golden generation, 1989-1991. Portugal won back-to-back Under-20 World Cups. Yes, big names in that team. Okay, you know, most notably, Luis Figo, Rui Costa, João Vieira Pinto. Okay, big names. But there were big names on that team that did not go on to become amount to much as players, including Portugal's current under-20 coach, um, Hugo Souza. Okay, Eliu Souza, excuse me. Okay, he, he his playing career never panned out the way it did. Okay, there's a there was a guy in the team also, another name that will ring a bell, Tulipa. Big name. Pedro Valido was in that 89 team. Okay, he's now a commentator on BTV for Benfica TV. He played one game of his senior career, one senior appearance with Benfica. Never played for the Portuguese national team. So you have to take that all into context when you judge these under-20 tournaments. And it's it's very easy to just assume that these kids are going to go on, you know, if they're successful and become senior internationals. Um, that's not always the case. So just as that's not the case, we need to use the same perspective when we judge a poor performance. Now, was this a bad group? Did they not play well? And is it fair to judge a four-year run from age 16 to 20 in the work that was done by Elio Souza, who coached this generation straight through from age 16 to 20, okay, through these four years, won two championships, won a European under 17 and a European under 19 championship. They're the first group to ever do that, okay? Is it fair to judge them as, as flops? Because for one week out of that four-year period, they just did not play well. And, yeah, they didn't play well in some of the friendlies leading up as well. Even if you say in one six-month period out of that four-year, you know, window of time, the team did not play well. So, who's to say? I mean, you look at this team and who who do you think can go on to be, you know, big-time contributors to the senior Portuguese national team? It's not easy to tell, okay? It's very hard to tell. At this stage, we don't know where these players' careers are going to go from here. Um, you got some names that have a lot of potential. I think the the most likely to succeed in this group for me is Florentino, and it's not because he plays for Benfica. It's just he is the type of player already with an you know he's got an intelligence and he's got a vision. That will translate, you know, to the senior game. He's put in, I think, six or seven starts now in the Portuguese first division. Jetson has as well. But Florentino shows something a little different. And Florentino plays a position where I think he would fit into the Portuguese national team, you know, within some time. Yes, we're very... So we got William and we got Danilo as holding midfielders already. And neither one of them are particularly old. But I can see Florentino being the next the next one to slot in there. Okay, I can see that because his quality on the ball, the quality of his pass, the quality of his positioning, 
tells me that he can't play at the next level at this, you know, internationally at the next level. He's already playing as a full professional in the first division. This team's that want him. Jetson also could picture could all also factor in um, at some time. And again, it's not because he's at Benfica. It's because he, but he is at a first team already. Okay, he made some starts. Yes, he came down. And um, his playing time went down a bit as the team, you know, the shape was taken. And the coaching change from Rui Vitoria to to Bruno Lage was a little less friendly to him as it was to, to some other players. And part of it is that his style is more maybe for a Rui Vitoria style. But you know what? He is suited for the Portuguese national team style because I don't see that changing because... It's the style they play at U20. It's the style they play at U17. Um, so I think he may fit in well to a Portuguese national team in two to three years. He's already got a full international under his belt, Jetson does. Also, I think that I'm not... I'm a little cautious about Jota, okay? Jota is also a Benfica player. I'll explain. Yes, that's my club. No, that's not why I'm saying him. But again, he was someone who earned a winner's medal in the in the Portuguese league this year because he played in the first division on the team that won the title. Um, you look at this under-20 roster, and first-team players that you have in the team are uh, the two outside backs, Diogo Dalo and uh, Ruben Vinagre, okay? They're both first-team players. I don't know that we'll ever see them really become regulars on the Portuguese full national team because look who we have in those positions. Okay, We got a lot of depth at outside back right now. We have four pretty good outside backs. We've got Nelson Semedo. We've got João Cancelo. We've got Rafael Guerreiro and Mario Hui. And three of those four are still very young. Okay? Three of those four are still in their early, are still in their mid twenties, so um, I, I have a hard time seeing where Ruben Vinagre or Diogo Dalo are gonna fit in as right backs and like right and left backs, especially since they don't play those positions in their club teams. They play a more advanced midfield position, but that that goes true for the four that are in the national team pool right now. Also, none of them seem to play as much at outside back on their club team as they do for the national team. But they are versatile players that can go up and down. Um, so, just because he's at Manchester United right now, for example, or just because Vinagre is at Wolverhampton and, like I said, Dalo at United, I don't necessarily tip them as automatics. or They may even be long shots to get in to Portugal's national team pool going forward. It's not saying that they may not get there they may they may get there we don't know how things pan out sometimes you know Cedric was in the national team he was untouchable for a couple seasons now he's out of the picture okay so it's it's hard to tell but i think Florentino is still the one best equipped to play in the national team at the next level um Rafael Leon also could be a good tool at the next level. However, Rafael Leon is in a happens to play a position that the national team is quite stacked at. If he can develop into a central striker, um, it's possible. 
that he could he could have a very long career in the full national team. But right now, I mean, wide wide attackers the the national team has a plethora, and same goes for Jota. Um, I'm not convinced Trincao can 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 grow into that all-and-out striker that Portugal lacks in something Portugal is going to need when the day that sad day and time comes that Cristiano Ronaldo has to step down, you know, it's no longer at the level to play on the national team. He said, I believe, that World Cup 2022 is the end of the road for him. Um, he'll be 36 at that time. He'll be, sorry, 38 at that time, if I'm not mistaken. And... Um, that's a long time for an attacking player to be playing at the international level. But uh, I do think he's going to continue to, as he ages, become more and more of a poacher. More and more of a, of a, a in-the-box player with a lot less movement. Um, but I don't see that replacement at that position. And I'm not convinced Trinko is that guy. Of course, I haven't seen him play for Braga B. Um, I've only seen him play in these last two international tournaments, so I could be completely wrong about that. Um, but just to give you guys some perspective as to just how big these uh, tournaments are and how many players from these teams go on to be full national team players. Again, like I said, you get the perception and you get the idea in your mind that it's it's a natural progression from one team to the next. But in reality, it's really very few players that will go from this team to the next level. So I've pulled up all of the the last 20 years of Portugal at the Under-20 World Cup. Okay, starting, We'll go back to the previous one, 2017, first of all. Okay. Um, in 2017, Portugal were eliminated in the quarterfinals in penalty kicks by Uruguay. They very well could have gone very deep, you know, and uh, Uruguay went all the way to the final in that tournament. Okay, players included on that team two years ago that have that have an international cap at this time, there's only two. Ruben Dias, who is now a starting center back for the full national team, and Jetson, who is still in the under-20s, he was a very young uh, member of that team two years ago. He returned to the under-20s um, this this year, and he's got one full international cap. Another key player in that team in 2017 was Befica's other center-back, Ruben Dias's center-back partner, Ferru, okay? And I only include him because I believe it's only a matter of time before he replaces Pep in the full national team. Um, hopefully it happens in time for Euro 2020. Um, with Fernando Santos, I don't know. Fernando Santos is very loyal to his veterans, to that Velha Guarda, to that old guard. So it may not happen until after Euro 2020, but it's a natural um, change to make. I mean, they already play together at the club level, and I think one of the keys to successful national teams is having having a center-back pairing that play together at the club level. Um, I think sometimes that's more important than having center-backs that play at the top clubs because that chemistry and that nonverbal communication is is there from playing together every day of the season and not just when you get together on national team duty. And part of the reason, you know, Portugal was so successful 
at uh, Euro 2004, for example, but that 2004-2006 team was because the core of that national team was also the core of Porto's Champions League winning team in 2004, okay? You look at up the spine, the core, you had... You had... Uh, Sorry, my mind is, is escaping me for a second. And I just had the names in my mind. Well, you had Manish as this, and Deku in the midfield. Okay, you had uh, Bruno Alves, and who was less used. But you also had, and now his name is escaping. You had Ricardo Carvalho, thank you, as a center back. Um, paired with Jorge Andrade, who was no longer at Porto. Well, had been at Porto with Ricardo Carvalho, okay? And then you had Paulo Ferreira as a right back. He ended up being replaced by Miguel in that tournament, but another Porto uh, player in the back line. Um, you also had um, Costinha, who also was from Porto, okay? So you had Porto's spine in the national team, and I think that's the key, really, to a strong, strong national team. Why was Spain so strong for so many years? Because their core was made up of Real Madrid and Barcelona players. Okay? If you look at Spain's 2008, 2010, 2012 winning sides that won those competitions, okay? The core of those teams came from those two clubs. Okay? So, the majority of those players played together all year round. You got half the team playing with each other and the other half of the team also playing with each other. It's a very easy transition to make from club to national team when that is the case. Um, so yes, I'm advocating for a lot of Benfica players because right now Benfica has the most Portuguese players. Okay, And Benfica is producing the most youth players as well. And as you get younger and younger, the Portuguese youth youth national teams have more and more Benfica players in them. And um, I'm not saying this as a Benfica fan. I'm saying this because I just sat here and gave credit to, you know, the Porto teams of the past of a, of a decade and a half ago and how we rode that core team long after those players left Porto. Um, we kept, those were still the players in our national team. Okay, that core stayed together. Okay, that core had so many games and so many minutes and so many miles logged together as a team. And that's why I think Ferro and Ruben Dias really should be the Portuguese national team pairing going forward. And I know I'm getting off topic of the under-20 World Cup here. But, um, so those three players are the only real notables of the 2017 uh, under-20 side at this point. Those players are still very young. They're 22. Some of them are yet to break through. Some of them will will break through later than others. Some players peak early. Others peak later. We have the 2015 Portuguese team Okay, uh, at the under-20s two years earlier that was also knocked out in the quarterfinal. They were eliminated on penalties by Brazil. And I remember that game very distinctly. It was another situation of a Portuguese team that just missed too, squandered too many chances. Too many chances. They outplayed that Brazil team. Played them off the park that day, except could not finish. Okay? They ended up going to penalty kicks and losing on penalty kicks. Okay? Players in that 2015 team that you would know today. Okay? 
uh, Andres Silva has, has caps at the senior national level. He's not in the team for the UEFA Nations League, but that's because um, his form has dipped. He's fought some injuries. He's having some personal issues at his club. Um, he's at a, he, he left a good situation at Porto for him where he was playing game in and game out, went to AC Milan, never cracked into the first team, went on loan this year to Sevilla. Sevilla are not interested in, in, in buying his contract. He's going to return to, to, to Milan who are looking to offload him. I've read Fenerbahce and, and, uh, Besiktas in, in Galatasaray, Turkish football, has an interest in him. Um, but he's he's logged the minutes. He went to the World Cup already. He's got a World Cup under his belt. Jelson Martinez also was at the World Cup last year. Right now, not in the national team picture. Again, transferred, left Sporting. A good situation for him. Took a transfer. Took big money to go to Atletico Madrid. Now on loan at Monaco. I believe he's being returned from Monaco to Atletico Madrid. Who knows what the future holds for him? But there's a guy who who may you know who has some international caps and has contributed at a World Cup. And also Gonzalo Guedes was in that team. Same situation. Left Benfica. A good situation for him. Went abroad. Went to Paris Saint Germain. Didn't have a, a chance in the world of getting into that squad, into that big money squad. Went on loan to Valencia, eventually got a, a permanent move to Valencia. There's a reoccurring theme with with that group who's now, you know, 24 years old, uh, those players are. They all left their big Portuguese club, okay, went abroad. It didn't work out, were loaned out. Some have found themselves in better situations than others. Um, another notable name in that, in that 2015 team is... He has not played for the full national team yet. He's been called in, but he has not gotten on the field. Ronnie Lopsch, okay, he was um, a big time. He was maybe the biggest name in that 2015 team, okay. As was, as was uh, Ruben Neves. So you can add Ruben Neves also, who's broken into the full national team this year. He was in that 2015 team. But Gedge and Neves, who are in the best situation right now. Came off the bench on that team in 2015. They were not even used as regulars. Okay, So 11 players were rated ahead of them. Put it that way. At that age. And today some of these guys are playing in the second division in Portugal now. At 24 years old. Some of them are playing the Campeonato Portugal. Some are playing in the Romanian League. Some are playing you know, in Cyprus. So again. You don't know. But those four players that I mentioned there are the names that came out of that. Ronnie Lopsch, of course, was a Manchester City player at that time. Never even got anywhere near cracking the first team. Now he's at Monaco. Monaco has been a good bridge for Portuguese players. Okay, They have seen success there. Leonardo de Jardim is the coach there. Um, it's not a bad place to be, but we'll see what the future holds for Ronnie Lopsch. Gonzalo Guedes also settled in now at Valencia. Will probably be there. Hopefully he stays there for many years. Cracks into the team. You know, hopefully his level continues to rise. And he doesn't move on too quickly. And of course Ruben Neves. We all know the trajectory his career has taken. The last two years since leaving Porto. So you get four out of that team. Uh, interestingly enough, none of those four. Uh, sorry, one of those four are in the team for this UEFA Nations League, okay? None of them were European champions, okay, in 2016. 
Um, and one of them is in the team now. That That is Ruben Nevsh. Move back two years from that team, and you go to 2013, where Portugal were knocked out in the round of 16 uh, with a 3-2 loss to Ghana. However, Portugal won the group that, that year, winning all three group stage games. So again, one bad game knocks them out. Does that make that entire generation a failure? Well, um, here's the players from that team, and this this team had a lot of a lot of talent. Okay, I think this team had more players come through than than, than the 2019 team is going to have that has won these these titles. So, in 2013, you got João Cancelo currently in the team. All right, you got Edgar Ye, who has one cap. He currently plays in the French league for I believe for Toulouse. Okay, but he was a Barcelona player in 2013. He was in the Barcelona Academy. Uh, João Mario, who is a European champion, um, currently, you know, he is he is a prospect on the transfer market. Not in the team right now. Had a hard time finding time at his uh, club team at Inter Milan. Of course, he played a lot at Sporting. Was a key player in the Portuguese league at that time. He was a he was a key consistent starter for Fernando Santos. Almost an undisputed undisputed starter. Um, took the gamble of going abroad, went to Inter, has never really gotten into the Inter team. He went on loan once to West Ham, got some minutes there. He was at the World Cup, okay, last year. He was at the European Championship two years before that. Also went to the final at the European under-21 level. So really, he is the first, probably the most accomplished um, U-20 alumni we've come across so far in this in this look back, Bruma was in that team. Bruma has played on the national team. Uh, he played in this nation's league in the group stage. Not in the roster uh, for this final stage. He is, of course, at RB Leipzig. Ivan Cavaledo has two caps. He was on the, uh, on the 2013 team. Uh, currently also with Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, big name was Andre Gomes, who was in that 2013 team. He's a European champion. He was at the World Cup last year. Barcelona player on loan at Everton. We'll see what the future holds for him. But he's also probably equally as accomplished as Romario. Maybe Romario's got a little more pedigree, having um, had a longer run as a first-choice player in the Portuguese league. Andre Gomes went from the B team to the first team at Benfica and was on his way to Valencia, I believe it was, within a year. And within that first season, I think he played six months in the first team, was moved to Valencia from Valencia to Barcelona. And the goalkeeper in that team was José Sá, who is the current third-string goalkeeper. Zero caps, but is consistently called in as the third-string keeper. Uh, he's currently at Olympiacos on loan from Football Club de Porto. And I did make a note that in 2013, the team that won the, the U-20 World Cup was France. Okay, and this was five years before France would win the World Cup, the Senior World Cup. And... Only Paul Pogba and Samuel Umbiti, Umtiti, excuse me, uh, were still in. The, were in the full had reached the full national team from that under twenty team five years earlier. Um, Two thousand eleven, we touched on earlier. Portugal went to the final, lost to Brazil three two in the final. Okay, and what's interesting about this team, okay, is that really. 
the this team went on to be to form a core for another national team at the senior level. So, you first you got Cedric, uh, who who was a European champion in two thousand sixteen, part of that team. Danilo, currently at Porto, also was a key part of the two thousand eleven under twenty team. Is in the current national team, European champion, went to the World Cup last year. Is in this UEFA Nations League final team. Mario Hui. Now in the in the full national team, eight years later, just cracked into the team in this last cycle. He was at the World Cup, was not used at the World Cup last summer, but was in the team. That was really his first introduction into the national team, um, as he came up the ranks of from smaller a smaller Italian team, through to a bigger team finally to Napoli. Rumor has it he may be on his way to Benfica. I would be happy to see that. He'll see a lot of minutes. Should Grimaldo leave Benfica, he will slot in very nicely as that next left back. All right. Um, and then Sergio Oliveira and Nelson Oliveira all put in um, some time in the full national team. Sergio Oliveira right now, um, a Porto player, was on loan this season at Pauk, won the, won the Greek title, is being returned to Porto, but he's already 27, 28 years old now. And he's only got three caps. He should be in the peak of his career, and he's yet to settle in at a club. Um, Nelson Oliveira, you know, would go from this under-20 team quickly. The next summer, at in 2012, he would be in the Portugal team that went to the semifinals of the European Championships. He would be the starting forward on that team. But then again, he left Benfica, went to England. If He has, you know, had a hard time. Breaking in, he ended up in the championship. That's where he currently plays. His club was promoted this year, uh, Norwich City. So he will be in the Premier League playing for Norwich City this coming fall. We'll see if he can secure himself a place in a, in a Premier League team. Perhaps there's a comeback in the cards for Nelson Oliveira. Again, um, eight years ago, he's approaching the wrong side of 25. You know, he's approaching that age 30 and still yet to really make a mark aside from those first couple of years after he left the under 20s after he graduated if you will to the full national team he was the first one to break in but at this point um he's not even in the picture right now um and then you have Pele you have Lasana Gamara and you have uh Emil Dubalde we're all players that played a lot of minutes in that under in that 2011 under 20 world cup Today, those three players play for Guinea-Bissau, and they make up a core of of the national team for Guinea-Bissau that is preparing right now for the African Cup of Nations. So they are dual nationals that opted to go with you know their birth country or their parents' birth country. Um, they fell out of the Portuguese system. You know they fell down the, the the pecking order to the point where now they're playing for another country. Um, none of them cracked you know first teams in Portugal. Uh, Pelé had good seasons with with Pastor Ferreira. Um, I believe he had a good season with Hiuab. He's now playing at Monaco as well. I believe that's where he is at this time, um, playing for Leonardo Jardim. But he is now playing his international football for Guinea-Bissau. And that was and that so far is the team with the most alumni to go on if you count the guys that play for another country today. Okay. And like I said, the 2011 was won, was won by Brazil. And aside from three guys, you wouldn't know any of the other players on that team. In 2009, Portugal did not qualify. Okay, so we don't even know who would have been in that team. 
2007, 12 years ago, Portugal lost in the round of 16, 1-0 to Chile. Um, that was the under-20 played in Canada. And that that tournament featured Rui Patricio, who is the current starting goalkeeper for Benfica. Excuse me, for the Portuguese national team, not for Benfica. He's a Spartan product. Currently at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Fabio Quintrão was another name that was on that list. He was a forward at that time. He would only crack into the first team, the first national team, the senior national team, when Jorge Jesus would convert him into a left back at Benfica um, a couple seasons after this tournament. But he has also been out of the national team picture now since at least 2015 when he left Real Madrid. And the other big name, notable name, I should say, in that 2007 team was Steven Vitoria, who went on to play for Canada. Okay? Um, so another player that has gone on to play for another country. 2005, 2003, and 2001 World Cups, none of them featured a Portuguese team. Portugal did not qualify for any of those tournaments, any edition. Okay? 2001 is notable as it was the World Cup that uh, the star of the World Cup was one Mantojas playing for Angola at a time when Benfica thought they had just, you know, signed the next, uh, you know, Brazilian Ronaldo, if you would, the phenomenal. Uh, he, his career had so much potential, if not for injuries. Um, also, 2005 was the tournament that was dominated by Lionel Messi. He was the MVP. 2003, dominated by Javier Saviola. Okay, Javier Saviola also played for a season or two in Portugal for Benfica. Um, he was he was Argentina's star player as they won on home soil that year. 1999 now, 20 years ago, Portugal. Not a good performance, but uh, that team featured only Simão and Marco Caneda that would go on to play for the full national team. So that gives you a, uh, an idea of... You know, not to overreact to a poor performance from Portugal at this World Cup, okay? Not to overreact. Um, it would have been nice to, to get, you know, at least close to the final. Maybe win it again. That would have been great, especially for this generation that's accomplished so much. But at the end of the day, wins and losses. You know, the teams that win these tournaments don't necessarily turn out any more, you know, top-level internationals than do the teams that fail to qualify. Um, remember, it's very hard to qualify for the Under-20 World Cup, especially out of Europe. It's so competitive, so many good teams in so few places, only six spots for Europe. Uh, Portugal have qualified now for, for I believe, in, uh, five in a row. They've qualified 11 11, 13, 15, 17, and 19. Yeah, five in a row. So Portugal is trending in the right direction, if nothing else, in this under-20 level. Um, it's not easy to qualify. They've managed to do it five times in a row, meaning they've come in the top six in the European Championships five times in a row at the under-19 level. So that just gives you a little bit of, of background. I hope it didn't bore you too much. Um, just to show you, you know, there are players in this team that may go on to be something. Um... And there are players in this team, undoubtedly, that will end up playing for your Hiwavs and your Morirenses and your Bulanenses and your Santa Clara's Maritimus, okay? There are players that are going to go on to play in the Campeonato Portugal in the, and in the second division. There are players that are going to go abroad and play in, in, in Belgium or play in Romania, play in Greece. They're going to play in lower leagues. Um, but I... 
two or three of these guys you can imagine and expect to become regulars in the full national team within the next, you know, three to five years, um, some sooner than others. So th- that's my take really on this 2019 Under-20 World Cup as far as Portugal is concerned. Um, disappointing, of course. Very, very disappointing. I know the segments run a bit long. Very disappointing. Um, to see this, uh, I, had, I had very high hopes. I've been looking forward to this tournament for, for months. And, uh, of course, uh, gutted to see the way it went down for this group of players. But let's see how they dust themselves off. There's another under-21 championship in two years that this team will be eligible for. Um, we'll see what they do in the European under-21 championship, okay? Um, we'll see which of these players crack their first teams. A lot of these guys play on B teams, okay? The the center back pairing, Diogo Leite, Diogo Queiroz, won the Euro, UEFA Youth League this year with Porto, played with Porto B. We'll see if they can crack into Porto's first team. I don't know that they can do that. Um, Porto is... And this is not a knock on them because of their arrival. But they're a, a team of a large dimension. And they don't necessarily um, have room for 20-year-olds to come in and play center back. Okay, um, They don't necessarily have that structure. And as much as I like Sergio Conceição, and if you listen to my Mr. Benfica podcast, uh, you've heard me defend him at least tactically and as a coach. Um, you heard me defend and even in, at times praise his work, um, I don't think he's going to be giving Porto, he's going to be putting these two guys out there at starting center back next year um, for, for Porto, the way Benfica starts with you know a 21 and 22 year old this year. Um, I don't think that's going to happen at Porto, you're not going to see these two. I, I think they're much more likely to go to the market and purchase two center backs. Uh, they have Philippe right now, if he stays, if he goes, we don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens. Perhaps the opening will be there for them. But it'll be interesting to see which ones of these players you know, progress. And uh, perhaps we have a huge name in one of these players that we don't even know about yet. Okay, Like I said, Leon, Trincão, Jota, Jetson, um, Florentino, probably the, the best. And, and the two outside backs also can't... can't discredit them. They play in the Premier League right now. They play at a very high level. Um, maybe not every day, but um, definitely could be solid, you know, prof- you know, first-team professionals in their career. Yeah, so that's a wrap on, on, on FIFA U20 World Cup 2020 as far as Portugal is concerned. Stay right there, okay? We got the last segment coming up. I'll break down and talk a little bit about England versus the Netherlands, the other semifinal of the upcoming UEFA Nations League kicking off. That game will kick off on Thursday, okay, from Guimarães. This is the Mr. Portugal podcast, part of the PTB Soccer Network. Remember to find us on Instagram at PTB Soccer. Stay right there. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to Mr. Portugal, a production of the PTB Soccer Network. This is the final segment now as we're going to go back to the UEFA Nations League for a moment. And I'm going to go ahead and give a little uh, preview of the other two, the other semifinal matchup featuring the other two clubs, obviously, the Netherlands and England. So I'm going to go down the rosters first, starting with uh, the Netherlands, as I have it in front of me, uh, the 
wearing number one is going to be the goalkeeper, Jasper Silesen. And um, the 30-year-old is a, as anyone that listens to uh, my Mr. Benfica podcast has heard that name as he's been a target of Benfica in the transfer market, um, this this window that's about to open up. Um, I don't see him going to Benfica. Uh, I think it's a lot of it is tabloid. Um, tabloid publishing, if you will, and it's a lot of it is players, agents trying to create interest to raise um, the profile of a, a back. What's essentially a backup keeper. He's got forty-eight caps, though. Um, defender Hans Hatebower of Atalanta just had a fantastic season. Atalanta did qualifying for the UEFA Champions League. Defender Matthias Delit. Um, from Ajax, 15 caps, 19 years old, 15 caps. That is a very experienced 19-year-old. As you know, he is on the move as well. Uh, he is a big name in the transfer market. If I'm not uh, mistaken, he is on his way to Barcelona. Um, I do confuse his name with Vin- with uh, with Frankie de Jong also. One of them is on their way to Barcelona. And I don't have it in front of me which one it is. It could be both of them. But anyway, those are two very big players. And of course, the other defense, the other uh, central defender is the captain of the, ne- the Netherlands. It's a 27-year-old Virgil van Dijk, the Premier League Player of the Year, as we said earlier, uh, representing Liverpool. 26 caps and 4 goals for the center back. He's 27 years old, like I said. And um, manager Ronald Koeman said that the Netherlands have the best center back pairing in Europe, and I will agree with that statement. Uh, uh, Just look at those two guys right there, clearly. Um, Also, you've got uh, the defender Nathan Ake wearing the number five for this competition. He's 24 years old, uh, 10 caps, one goal from Bournemouth. Um, in midfield, Davy Proper uh, is going to wear the number six. He's got 14 caps, three goals, plays for Brighton, Hove, and Albion. S- seven's going to be Steven Bergwin. He is 21 years old, five caps, no goals. He represents PSV Eindhoven. As you can see, this is a pretty young Dutch team. Um, number eight is Jorginho Wijnaldum uh, of Liverpool. Um, 55 caps at age 28, 11 goals. Uh, as you probably know by now, he had a, one of the big goals against against Barcelona, knocking Barcelona out of the European Champions League this year as uh, Liverpool went on to lift the trophy, went on to win the Champions League. Um, And he was a big part of that, as was his teammate Virgil van Dijk. And here's a name, a blast from the past. Uh, You may remember this name, Ryan Babel, now playing for Fulham. Um or at least last played for Fulham. We'll see where he is next year. The veteran, 32-year-old, 56 caps and 8 goals about a decade ago. That was a big name on the on uh, Dutch football. A big name, I believe he was at Liverpool at that time, and uh, many people had very, very high hopes for him. He uh, disappeared for a bit, went to Turkey, recreated his career, resurrected his career, I should say, and is now back in another man, the key guy in this team, and... It's hard to believe he's only 25 years old because I feel like he's been around forever. But it, it is uh, Memphis Depay who's going to win the wear the number 10. He plays for Leon, as you know, former Manchester United player. Also, 46 caps, 16 goals. He is the the big name in this team. Okay, in this Dutch team that needs to be watched out for. I think he's the most dangerous player they have. Quincy Proms is going to wear the 11. He's 27 years old with 36. 
caps and six goals. He plays for Sevilla. Patrick Van Holt is a defender, 28 years old, with nine caps. Plays for Crystal Palace. Uh, Kenneth Vermeer is a goalkeeper, 33 years old, with five caps. Uh, plays for Feyenoord. Stefan Diverge is a 27-year-old defender from Inter. Uh, Inter Milan, that is. 37 caps, three goals. Martin Darun, wearing the number 15, is 28 years old. He's got 10 caps, no goals. And he is also from Atalanta. Kevin Strootman is going to wear the number 16. He's 29 years old, midfielder. 43 caps and three goals. Plays his club football for Olympique Marseille. Uh, another big name that on this team and another former Manchester United name on this team is the defender wearing number 17, 29-year-old Daily Blend. From Ajax, another one from the very phenomenal Ajax team we saw this season come within seconds of the Champions League final. Um, Daily Blend is a very good back. Um, this is one heck of a Dutch team. I know they've been out of they've been out of sight for a little while. They failed to qualify for a few final tournaments, but this this Dutch team is revamped, reloaded, restocked, ready to go. Um, wearing number 18 is a 24-year-old midfielder, Tony Vihena of Feyenoord, 15 caps. Luke de Jong of PSV Eindhoven is a forward. He'll wear number 19, 28 years old, 16 caps, 4 goals. Donny van der Beek is another one from Ajax. He's 22 years old in midfield, and he's got 5 caps. Frankie de Jong is 22 years old, also from Ajax at this time. Uh, has seven caps. Like I said, he, if I'm not mistaken, is on his way to Barcelona. Um, defender Denzel Domfries is 23 years old, five caps, no goals. PSV Eindhoven. And lastly, goalkeeper Marco Bizot is wearing to wear number 23, 28 years old. He is yet to debut for the Dutch national team, but he plays for AZ Alkmaar. And like I said, this is a team that could be very, very dangerous. Um, so much talent in that squad, in that Dutch squad, in the Orange, um, and it's their it's their reemergence on the international stage, if you will. They found their way back, and um, this team is still the fa- that first half of that roster is very young, and this is a team that can be good for for very many years. Um, they got the right manager, uh, Ronald Coleman's a manager I'm pretty fond of for obvious reasons, as he was a Befica manager, even if for only one season he did put Befica, uh, he did guide them to their best Champions League campaign of the last 20 years, back in 2005-2006, uh, knocking out Manchester United and Barcelona that year, um, and coming within, you know, within an away goal of eliminating Barcelona, who went on to win the, the title that year. We'll look now at the England roster for this for this tournament, okay? England announced their roster. Gareth Southgate, of course, is the manager. The goalkeeper that's going to wear number one is Jordan Pickford of Everton, 25 years old, 17 caps. Defender Kyle Walker is wearing number two, 29 years old, from the champion Manchester City, 46 caps. Danny Rose of, of Spurs is going to wear number three. He's also a defender, 28 years old. Eric Dyer, the the Englishman raised in Portugal, if you will. Eric Dyer, Sporting 
Sporting Youth Academy product now of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, he's going to wear number four. He's 25 years old. 39 caps, three goals for England. Uh, John Stones, the defender for Manchester City, will wear number five, 37 caps, two goals. Harry Maguire, the defender from Leicester City, is going to be wearing the number six. He uh, is 26 years old with 18 caps and one goal. Manchester United's Jesse Lingard will be wearing the famed number seven jersey for England. He's 26 years old. He's not a kid anymore. 22 caps, four goals. Number eight is going to be the Liverpool uh, hero, if you will, the captain of Liverpool, Jordan Henderson. is going to wear number eight. He's 28 years old, 50 caps for England already. Um, no goals, but he just lifted the European Cup for Liverpool in that Champions League final not that long ago, just a few days ago, about a week now. Um, less than that, a couple days back. Number nine is going to be the captain. Uh, Harry Kane, he's going to wear the number 9 and not the 10 this time around. Um, Harry Kane, of course, of Tottenham Hotspur. 37 caps, 22 goals. He's 25 years old and is the captain of the squad. And number 10 is going to be Manchester City's Raheem Sterling. And now I said that I think the best three players this season in Europe and definitely the best three in the Premier League for sure are in this are in this final four. Okay, it's it's... Raheem Sterling here of Manchester City, Virgil van Dijk of the Netherlands in Manchester City, and of course Bernardo Silva of Portugal in Manchester City. I'm sorry, Virgil van Dijk of Liverpool, not Manchester City, and Bernardo Silva of Manchester City and Portugal. Those three players are, are all on display in this competition. Um, Raheem Sterling has 49 caps, 8 goals, he's 24 years old, and will wear the number 10 jersey for England. 11 will be worn by the... The 19-year-old Jaden Sancho of Borussia Dortmund, one of the breakout players in this year's Bundesliga season. Uh, absolutely fantastic season for Jordan Sancho. Um, four caps so far, no goals, but he's only 19 years old, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him tally at least one in these two, one of these two matches, whether it's in the semifinal, the final, or the consolation match. Joe Gomez, the defender from Liverpool, will wear number 12. He's 22 years old, six caps. Goalkeeper from Stoke City, Jack Butland, will be the one of the backups, 26 years old, wearing the number 13 jersey, nine caps for Jack. Uh, ben Chilwell of Leicester City, defender, will wear number 14. He's 22 years old, six caps. Number 15 will be worn by Michael Keane. He is a defender, 26 years old, from Everton, 7 caps and 1 goal. Declan Rice of West Ham United will wear the number 16. He's 20 years old. He's got 2 caps. Fabian Delph of Manchester City will wear the number 17. He's 29 years old, 18 caps, no goals. Ross Barkley of Chelsea is 25 years old. He'll wear number 18, 27 caps, 4 goals. Marcus, Rash Marcus Rashford, I should say, of Manchester United is 21 years old. He'll wear number 19, 31 caps and 6 goals. Dele Ali will wear number 20. He's 23 years old. Tottenham Hotspur, 35 caps and 3 goals. While Callum Wilson will wear number 21. Callum is 27 years old. He's got 2 caps and 1 goal. He plays his club football for Bournemouth. Um... Number 22 will be Trent Alexander-Arnold of the newly crowned European champion Liverpool, another member of that Liverpool team. 
He's 20 years old. He's got five caps and one goal. And the lastly, wearing the number 23 will be goalkeeper Tom Heaton, who's 33 years old, plays his club football for Burnley. He's got three caps. So these are two very good teams, okay? England were in the semifinals of the World Cup last summer. Um, the Netherlands, obviously, we, we talked about all the firepower they have and just how good they are at the back. Um, th I expect this to be a very tight match. Uh, a lot of players in this match were involved in that Champions League final. There's quite a few between the two teams. Um, so there could be some tired legs. Perhaps the managers will take that into account when they pick their 11. But um, this game's going to be played at the Don Alphonse Saint-Henrique in Guimarães. The game is sold out, as I understand. Um, England and the Netherlands are two teams that travel well. It's good to have them in this Final Four because they bring some prestige to it. And the fact that they have traveling support also makes it seem like a big deal. It's kind of embarrassing from a Portugal standpoint that these two teams have sold out a game when Portugal's having trouble selling tickets. And it's really embarrassing because you have Porto, um, Porto's direção, Porto's... Uh, board, if you will, complaining that the FPF never never gives them good games. They get a major tournament here, and ticket sales are in the toilet, and you know, they're blaming Benfica. Then you have leaders of their, their supporters groups urging Porto fans to boycott the tournament uh, because the FPF apparently favors Benfica. Benfica fans want to boycott the national team because they believe FPF favors the other teams. It's really getting ridiculous. Um, glad to see that these two teams here, they're much more unified. You don't hear Chelsea fans or Man City fans complaining that there's too many Tottenham and Liverpool players in this team and that they shouldn't, they shouldn't support the team. That is all a, a Portuguese... Um, that is a Portuguese characteristic, if you will, a, a defect in us, if you will, if I don't say so myself. Um, I think that from a Portugal standpoint, I, I would rather play England in the final, and here's why. Um, one, England brings a certain level of prestige. Portugal always rise to the level of their opponent. And I'm not saying England are a better team than the Netherlands, but they're perceived to be a better team than the Netherlands. And I think... These Portugal players are much less likely to overlook an England team as opposed to a Netherlands team. Either way, we know that Portugal can lose to anybody on any day and can beat anybody on any day. We've seen both ends of that extreme in this team. Um, players to watch out for in this match. Obviously, Memphis Depay, um, Vanderbeek, uh, Ryan Babel is in there. He's got something to prove. Here's a chance for him to... to, to you know, resurrect his international career, if you will. Uh, on the England side, obviously, Harry Kane, we'll see how fit he is. He did not look good in the Champions League final. He looked, he looked, you know, like he lacked fitness. He looked like someone who had missed as much time as he had. You can train all you want, but without match minutes, you just don't, uh, you just don't get that rhythm. You just don't get that, that readiness. Also in England's team, you can watch out for Jaden Sancho. I think he can have a breakout in this tournament and really, really uh, put him put his name out there, put himself on the map, as well as Raheem Sterling, of course, who is going to be a big time player. Um, looking forward to the matchup, you know, of the center backs, especially Van Virgil Van Dyke from the Netherlands taking on England's, you know, attack. We'll see who wins that battle of wills. 
uh, battle of wits, excuse me. I'm going to predict it's going to be England 2 to 1. I don't usually make predictions, but I'm going to say England 2 to 1 on this one. Um with England advancing to the final, hopefully against Portugal, but we'll see about that. Um, the third place game will be played, I believe, on Saturday, and the final will be played on Sunday. The third place game will be in Guimarães, with the final being played at the Dragão in Porto. Um, I think Portugal, like I said, matches up better against against England than they do the Netherlands. I think the, the Netherlands have a, an element of the unknown, a little bit of an element of uh, discovery still there, if you will. Um, they got players still hungry to make names for themselves. The ones playing in the in the Bel- in the Dutch league, I should say. Um, even though the Ajax guys had a great Champions League run, um, it's another opportunity for those guys and for guys like Depay and and Blind as well to show their value and show um, how good they are to a wider audience. Um, I'm going to reluctantly sit here and I'm going to predict we're going to have a Portugal-England final because it's what I hope. Uh, But it wouldn't surprise me to see any possible matchup in this final. Um, For the sake of the final, I think England is a better finalist only because they have bigger support. They'll uh, fill the stadium more. so I, I uh, for the sake of the future of the tournament, the prestige England brings, especially right now, they're a little bit more on the prestigious level than is the Netherlands, and I don't mean that as any disrespect. Like I said, the Netherlands are on the up, and they have a great history. Um, any one of these teams can win this this competition. Any one of these teams can come in last place. But that's where we stand right now. So uh, I want to thank everyone for for catching this episode. Okay, I will be back sometime between Friday and Saturday with a recap of these first round matchups. All right, we'll have episode three of Mr. Portugal. We'll focus on Portugal's game, but we'll also touch a little bit on the other semifinal and we'll preview whichever match Portugal's going to be playing in over the weekend, whether it's the third place or the final. So I'm going to be signing off. Remember on Instagram, it's at PTB soccer on Instagram. Go ahead and give give it a like. Um, I keep posting stuff there, all right, and share it with your friends. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm right now at at Mr. at Benfica Mister, excuse me, at Benfica Mister on Twitter. I am the Mister Mike Augustino signing off. Força Portugal, pouco importa, pouco importa. Se jogamos bem ou mal, queremos é levar a taça para o nosso Portugal. See you next time, everybody. Peace. Só tenho uma coisa para dizer aos franceses. Vocês são os campeões das críticas e nós vamos ser os campeões da Europa!
francês Do meu país tu falaste Sou emigrante português Com teu artigo não ganhaste Não somos 11 mas 11 milhões Foi aí que tu falhaste Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Sem saber o que se passa Sem saber o que se passa Eu fiquei surpreendido Parecia o tempo da caça Tanto me senti ofendido Olha, não somos como eu tenho ouvido Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Tínhamos muita esperança E no jogo não falhamos Portugal estava confiante E o europeu ganhamos Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Sei lá, vim,